just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. It's Emily Means filling in for Ali Vallarta, and here's what Salt Lake's talking about. We have a winner for the 2nd Congressional District Republican primary. Environmental groups are suing the state to protect the Great Salt Lake. And should you bring your dog to the grocery store? Producer Ivana Martinez is here to round up the week's news with me. It's Friday, September 8th, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Good morning, producer Ivana Martinez. Good morning, Emily Means. So nice to have you on the roundup with me, breaking down the news of the week. The big news of the week in politics land is primary election day was Tuesday, and we have a winner in the Congressional District 2 Republican primary, and that is Celeste Malloy. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. The Associated Press called the race for Celeste Malloy Wednesday evening. Uh, she had two other challengers, former state representative Becky Edwards and uh, Bruce Huff, who is a local businessman, uh, also really involved with the Republican Party. Ivana, are you surprised by this outcome? I am a little. I think I've been following this race and I knew it was going to be a little bit of a close one, right? Like I was following Becky Edwards and Celeste Malloy and seeing how that was going to play out, especially in the rural counties was more than anything what I was looking at. So I was a little surprised, but I guess I'm I'm not entirely. Yeah. Well, I mean, one reason for that is because Congressman Chris Stewart endorsed Celeste Malloy. This is the race to replace outgoing Congressman Chris Stewart. He'll be stepping down mid-September. But he said, yes, Celeste Malloy is my candidate. She is a former staffer of Congressman Stewart's. But I don't know. For me, she kind of like came out of nowhere. I had never heard of her before. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we didn't hear a lot about this candidate until some of the drama that unfolded during her announcement. And then, you know, Celeste Malloy was on everybody's tongue. Right, right, right. And that drama you're referring to is from the GOP convention earlier this year. We have a whole episode unpacking that drama, so we can link it in the show notes for you. But Ivana, you mentioned you were kind of like taking a look at what would happen in the rural parts of the state. And that's something KSL radio reporter Lindsay Ertz was also keeping tabs on because Celeste Malloy really staked a claim in the rural areas of this state. Uh, this district, by the way, goes from Davis County all the way down to the south of the state to Washington County, kind of encompasses the whole west side of the state from Davis County on down. And Celeste Malloy said, like, I am your rural candidate, and that's where I'm going to be, you know, 
knocking the most doors. I'm really focused on talking with those folks. And it looks like it kind of paid off for her because that's where she swept. And Mm -hmm. for Becky Edwards, on the other hand, you know, she's a Davis County based uh, candidate. I think that she did pretty well in the northern part of the state and the urban areas along the Wasatch Front. But maybe she didn't do quite as well as she expected. And she actually conceded the race Wednesday. So uh, yeah, maybe an unexpected outcome for some folks, but listen, it's not over yet, Ivana. <laughs> and in fact, they're not even done counting ballots yet. Uh, counties that are part of CD2 will have until September 19th to finish counting those ballots. And it seems quite unlikely that the outcome will change at this point. But this was just the primary election. So we're looking forward to the general election in November, where Celeste Malloy will face Democrat Kathleen Reby and a handful of third party candidates in this race to replace Chris Stewart. I think it's it's exciting to see two women facing off for this seat. Yeah, Utah will have its fifth congressional woman in in Congress <laughs> history. Woo! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Always something exciting going on, Ivana. <laughs> Always something exciting going on. Emily, this kind of brought up a big question for me, and I'm wondering if this is in your head too. It's like, does the moderate Republican exist? I think we've seen a big divide in the Republican Party in the last couple of years, right? Someone who I consider probably like a moderate Republican, you know, who often gets um, touted as such as well is Senator Mitt Romney. Well, let me let me respond to your assertion that Senator Mitt Romney is a moderate Republican. Um, He's not. He's deeply conservative and he votes you know, pretty much in lockstep with the rest of the Republican Party. But what I think that you're trying to get at and what we've seen with this divide, and we've especially seen this play out with the Utah GOP, is Trump Republicans and not Trump Republicans, right? Uh, So Senator Mitt Romney, not a Trump Republican. Senator Mike Lee, traditionally, historically, a Trump Republican. Now, I haven't been following his base Mike Lee Twitter account. So I don't know if he's still on board with the former president and, you know, now presidential candidate. But that's really the divide that we're seeing. And if we look at this race, I mean, Becky Edwards, you know, not really a a Trump kind of Republican. No. And she got a lot of beef for voting for Joe Biden in the 2020 election. Right. And this was a big point of criticism towards her and her stance and whether she was Republican enough to to represent CD2, right? Yeah. People call her a rhino, a Republican in name only. Exactly. And, you know, Celeste Malloy didn't vote in that election or that we know of. And so, yeah, I, like, I wonder how much that played into this election as well in terms of, like, how Republican are you and what Republican values do you represent, right? Um, and, and you did mention, like, there are Trump Republicans and non-Trump Republicans. Where in the spectrum do you consider yourself a moderate Republican? Yeah, I see what you mean, Ivana. And, um, you know, from my perspective, what we're most likely going to get in Congress um, is same old, same old kind of representation. Um, you know, you mentioned that Celeste Malloy has the endorsement of outgoing Congressman Chris Stewart. Chris Stewart is 
a Trump Republican, right? Mm-hmm. And so I can't imagine that he endorsed someone who's wildly more moderate than him, right? So I could see us getting basically the same kind of representation that we got from Chris Stewart. And yeah, what it sounds like to me is that Republican voters in Utah are not ready for a change. They're they're fine with with that, uh, you know, with that kind of representation. So, you know, we'll see. Like we said, there is still the general election ahead of us, um, although historically the Republican has won this seat by leaps and bounds, you know, mm-hmm. usually like 60 percent of the vote. So uh, but we wa- we like to leave the door open to all possibilities. I should think you're great. Okay, Emily, some of the other big news around the city is this Great Salt Lake lawsuit. We're seeing several environmental groups teaming up to sue the Utah Department of Natural Resources, otherwise known as the DNR. So this lawsuit invokes a legal principle called the public trust doctrine. And can I break that down for you, Emily. Please do. I am not a legal expert, so I'd love (laughs) to understand this better. So basically, this principle establishes that there are certain natural and cultural resources that are preserved for public use, right? And the public is considered the owner of these resources. Of course, the public cannot be entrusted to, you know, that you can't really designate someone to take over it. So obviously, the government protects and maintains these resources for the public use. And what this lawsuit is saying is that it's claiming that the Utah Department of Natural Resources has failed in its duty to protect the largest saline ecosystem in the Western Hemisphere for the benefit of its residents, really. Okay. And that these measures taken by the state, by like lawmakers, isn't enough to save the Great Salt Lake and that we must be taking more drastic measures to reduce our consumption of this water. And what I found really interesting in this story written so wonderfully by Leah Larson for the Salt Lake Tribune is that this legal strategy has been successful before in California. Oh, we love being compared to California. (laughs) So Yeah, and it was being used with a different lake Several, several years ago. Got it. So you're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. I mean, we're not California, right? So we'll we'll have to see how this plays out. But this principle was also applied to the Utah Lake down in Utah County when developers wanted to build small islands. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yes, I remember. They were trying to build islands on Utah Lake. They claimed it was an effort to protect the health of the lake and also to bring housing and other development to that area. Yeah, and that strategy was recognized there. So we'll see how this plays out in our court system. But this lawsuit's all also calling on the state to curb deviations until the lake rises to around like 4,000 198 feet above sea level, the minimum elevation needed to support, you know, all of the industries that are going on at the Great Salt Lake. Um, And life as we know it. (laughs) And life as we know it. Because, Ivana, I mean, 
at this point, people know about the toxic dust, right? But, you know, just a, a quick refresher. As the lake dries up, it exposes the lake bed, which is laced with heavy metals and toxins like arsenic. And, you know, the more the lake bed is exposed and dried up, the more likely it is to get kicked up during a windstorm and brought into the air for us to breathe. So it does pose a public health crisis. There are also, you know, thousands of migratory birds that spend time at the lake. So it's yeah. a critical ecosystem for us, which is why it's so important to maintain that healthy lake level. And Ivana, this is really interesting to me. Lawsuits are they tend to feel like a last ditch effort, right? And, yeah. you know, they they take a long time to play out in court. It takes a while for us to get some sort of resolution. But, you know, the state says, listen, we've been doing more than ever to address this crisis. We've put billions of dollars in funding towards water conservation. We changed the way our water law works so that we can try to get more water to the lake. But one seemingly small thing that they didn't do in this past legislative session was set that minimum lake elevation. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was like also thinking about. I was like, oh, like we've seen the legislature put a big emphasis on this crisis, but not always meaningful legislative action behind it. You know, I think we were all expecting 2023 to be a little bit of a splashier year for the Great Salt Lake, and it wasn't. Um, as you mentioned, like splashier, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Mind my pun. Um, (laughs) yeah. And then, you know, what we really just saw was lawmakers instead set a salinity trigger that authorized the state to manage and like seal off part of the Great Salt Lake, the, the rock filled railroad splitting the lake in two and, you know, help lift levels for the lake. But we didn't see them do kind of the basic act of just setting a target goal, which is, I think, a really good step. Yeah. Well, and that's what these environmental groups want out of this. If the lawsuit is successful, it would force the state to meet that minimum healthy lake level of 4,198 feet, gives them a timeline of 10 years to do it, which, you know, for me feels like, uh, do we do we actually have 10 years <laughs> to do it? I don't know. One can hope. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. 
We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. Okay, Ivana, you came to me with a concern this week <laughs> about about dogs in grocery stores. And I have some related news I would like to share with you. Please. Uh, when Fox 13 reporter Ben Winslow gets a bee in his bonnet about something, this is what happens. Uh, ben says he's heard over the years that Salt Lake City has more dogs than kids. And he finally figured out where that little nugget of information came from. It's a 2017 study for the Salt Lake City Public Lands Department, which they use to help plan out, you know, how they develop or, you know, what they do with public lands. At that time, in 2017, 22% of Salt Lake City households had kids under 18 living with them. But 38% of households had dogs. Oh my and gosh. so, you know, doing some math, uh, they determined there were more dogs than kids. And the city feels like that probably still holds true, <laughs> uh, you know, six years later. So... I mean, it's just remarkable to hear that, first of all. More dogs than kids. It's a lot of dogs. It's a lot of dogs. It's a lot of dogs. But I think it explains why we see dogs in places we might not expect or even want to see dogs. Um, so, Ivana, where did you <laughs> see this dog in question? <laughs> um, so I went, like, grocery shopping on Labor Day. And I was at the, the local Smiths in Central City. And I was just like, you know, minding my business, going around. And I was like, whoa, why are there so many dogs in this grocery store? And I'm like, also acknowledge that some of these dogs are service animals. Like, I think one of the, the dogs that I saw at this store was a service animal. So I'm not talking about service animals when I say, like, I don't want to see your dog in a grocery store. I'm talking about <laughs> your pets. I'm talking about your animals that you should leave at home, please. Okay. You are taking a pretty strong stance on this issue. <laughs> <laughs> I like, look, I'm like shopping for my groceries, like in a in a very food area. Like there's uh -huh. no need for uh -huh. your dog to be in your shopping cart where we're all sharing the same shopping cart and we're also like probably not disinfecting them like as often as we should. <laughs> all right. All right. So your problem isn't with dogs generally. It's with dogs in places you think they don't belong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't. I don't think they should be in a grocery store. Like, that is not a place for your dog to be. 
All right. Let me tell you, Ivana, I did some digging um, because I did want to know where dogs are allowed in Salt Lake County. Um, so I called up the Salt Lake County Health Department and I asked. Oh, uh, so here is what I learned. Dogs are not allowed in grocery stores unless they're a service animal. However, it is not the Salt Lake County Health Department that enforces what happens in grocery stores. It's actually the Utah Department of Agriculture. So if you have mm. complaints about that and enforcement or a lack of enforcement, you got to go to the state for, you know, Fido being in the Trader Joe's or whatever. <laughs> um, so that was an interesting tidbit. I also asked about restaurants because I think a lot of people do want to bring their dog to a restaurant, you yeah. know, and hang out on the patio with them and all that. Um, what I learned is there are currently around 50 restaurant patios where dogs are allowed in Salt Lake County. Now, any restaurant could apply for this variance, for this allowance to bring dogs onto patios, but they need to meet a very specific standard, which is there must be an outdoor entrance to that patio because dogs cannot go in the building unless they're a service dog. So huh. all of the restaurant patios that allow dogs currently, that's allowed because their owner can bring them onto the patio from an outside entrance. They can't walk through the lobby. You know, they can't be near the kitchen or anything like that. So I thought that was really interesting and it makes a lot of sense to me personally. Yeah. I mean, well, do you think dogs should be in like restaurants? Like, what are your thoughts? N no, um, <laughs> I don't love it. Say it with your personally. chest, Emily means. I don't, I don't have a dog. I do love dogs, but I don't love dogs where I eat. You know, in my own home, my cat jumps on my kitchen table all the time, but that's in my own home. Uh, I don't love having to walk past your dog or tripping over the water bowl that you set out for them on the patio. And I don't know. It's just not my vibe personally. See, this is where I, I'm a little bit flexible with my stance, right? Like, I can see why you'd want to bring your dog and like have him on the patio. And I don't really mind that as much. Because I'm like, ah, like, what if you're, like, strolling around and then, you know, you get called up by friends and they're like, ah, oh, come join us. And, you know, you just so happen sure. to have your dog with you. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. I don't really mind that aspect as much. I just yeah. don't want them in my grocery stores. Well, fair point. I want to know what everyone else thinks. Please, do you think that dogs should be allowed in restaurants? Do you think dogs should be allowed in grocery stores? Where do dogs belong? Email us at <laughs> saltlake at citycast.fm. And yeah, I just want to be clear. I do love dogs. So don't come for me. I'm a nuanced person. <laughs> I think it also has to do with how well behaved your dog is too. Because like, you know, if your dog can chill, like, all right, bring True. him over. True. But like if your dog is a puppy and they do not know how to act in public and are like running around and like causing havoc for whoever is at that restaurant or wherever you are. I'm like, leave the dog at home. Leave the dog yeah. at home. 
you know, more than anything, don't be a nuisance to the service workers, okay? People with all their trays and drinks, like, trying to deliver them to tables, they don't want to have to navigate around your dog if your dog is not well-behaved. So I guess that's really what it comes down to for me. All right, Ivana, now that we've stirred the pot in this in this city where dogs outnumber children, uh, let's wrap this up and go to our last segment, Pick of the Week, and I'd love to hear what your Pick of the Week is. Emily Means, do you know that the State Fair has officially launched? It launched yesterday. The first day was... Wow. <laughs> My pick of the week is a State Fair. I'm so, Cute. so excited. The State Fair runs from the 7th to the 17th of this month, and they have a bunch of fun things that I am looking forward to going and, and checking out. There is a butter cow exhibit at this state fair. You had me at butter cow. <laughs> it's a massive sculpture. It's like 600 to 700 pounds of pure butter. And I'm like, <laughs> if that doesn't sound like the craziest thing that you, you can possibly see, then like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to bring your excitement levels up. So <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the butter cow for me. I haven't been to the state fair in years because the last time I went, I bought all these tickets for rides. Um, got on one ride, that spaceship, the one that spins. Oh, and no. And got sick and had to leave. And so, you know, it really soured the state fair for me. So. <laughs> I bet. So maybe, like, take it easy on the rides. But like, All right, I'll take it easy. One of the best things about the state fair, I think, is, like, some of the fair food. Like, there's nothing more joyful than to, like, watching all the lights and then, you know, scrolling around. And I'm really looking forward to getting a corn dog at the state fair. I'll tell you that. I had a feeling you might say that. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe I'll go and I'll try a corn dog and and that will be a really momentous occasion for me. What's your pick of the week? Okay, Ivana, my pick of the week is a celebration because the Third West construction project is finally finished. Woo! After two and a half years of hell on Third <laughs> West. <laughs> two and a Outrageous. half years? Oh, my God. Yes, but let me tell you what what we have to show for it. There's a new and improved sidewalk. (gasps) There are new bike lanes. There are crosswalks. So, yeah, uh, definitely improvements there. And I'm just glad that we came out the other side of this alive, I guess. And I get to use the sidewalk? Are you kidding me? I'm so pumped. You are a lucky gal. A lucky gal. (laughs) One thing, though, to consider, local businesses on Third West say that that construction really messed with their bottom line. So be sure to go visit them, you know, check out those those new and improved sidewalks and uh, go go invest in a local business. Okay. yeah. I mean, these city streets are constantly under construction and two years. I'm like, wow. I mean, Time goes by really quickly, but then my street has been under construction for a very long time. And I've moved twice now and different parts of it are like consistently under construction. Well, looking forward to uh, strolling down the new Third West. So, okay, Ivana, thank you so much for breaking down the news of the week with me. I hope you have a swell weekend and enjoy a corn dog. Oh, thank you. You too, Emily. In my honor. That's all for us today on CityCast Salt Lake. Our host is Ali Vallarta. Our producers are Ivana Martinez, Lizzie Goldsmith, Noah Snyderman, and Natalie Rivera. 
Our newsletter editor is Therina Ria, and our lead producer is me, Emily Means. Music is by local band Mitochondria, with additional music from All the Kimonos. We'll be back Monday morning with more from around this city. Have a great weekend. <laughs>